So I move the, the pulpit or the podium. Wow. Sounds very close. If it gets any closer, I'm just going to maybe preach from over there. Anyway, no, I don't mind taking one for the team if somebody comes to the door. I mean, I say that. Anyway, I, um, I've got visuals. Because in education, if you teach and you just preach, I'm not Charles Swindoll. I'm not the kind of preacher that you can listen to 35 minutes without a picture or a state change. Um, I'm not on the radio. Matter of fact, um, I'm not even close to on the radio. I wouldn't be on the radio. So, so I come to you a little bit differently, a lot bit differently, and I'll be using, I'm kind of a teacher preacher because the, the neuroscience says that if you can see and then hear teaching, your retention is bumped up 20-30%. And when you go home, I mean, for a lot of us by Wednesday, what did the preacher speak on? I don't know, it's Wednesday. We just don't want you to say that on Monday. So we're looking to up it a little bit. I also like to teach on like a theme because if I speak 25 minutes, 35 minutes, um, you go, what was that about? What are we to remember? And so I want to give you, I want to give you some substance that you can take with you and Lord willing, based on the Holy Spirit's power working in and through you, you can see discipleship and following Christ just much more with a, a victory, much more with John 10.10, 10, abundant life and living. That's what we want. It's when we don't have the abundant life, we don't have that peace that passeth all understanding that we go and do naughty things. Because we need some sort of brain stimulation. We need the those neurons to fire and we need dopamine and we need uh, serotonin. And um, we just need to know that uh, we've got something to hope in and that's Christ. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, hopefully by the end of the message, you'll wanna come forward when everybody leaves and, and and talk with me a little bit, or Gary, or, or someone else, Sean. But those of us who say, yeah, I know Christ, I don't need another salvation message, would you start preaching? You're already taking five minutes. I mean, some of us are really time efficient. For those that are already born again, regenerated spirit, Know Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. I mean, we can put a fancy handle on it any which way. Well, hopefully there's something for you today. Lord willing. The Holy Spirit's your teacher, not me. I'm just the mouthpiece. And I, I try not to get in the way. I try not to get in the way. That's it. 
of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you today. Fair enough. How do I honor Jesus and create healthy, positive relationships with friends, family, and others in my life? Like, well, I haven't thought about it. Matter of fact, today I'm going to the store, going to go grocery shopping, going to wash the car, and then hopefully have enough time to watch a TV show tonight. I don't have time for relationships. <laughs> Some of us are like that. So let's talk, though. How do you honor Jesus? Because Jesus has put people around you, right? Friends, spouses. And so you want to nurture that. You want to foster that. Because there's nothing worse than having a, a disgruntled friend or a spouse. Nothing worse. It's like, ah, you're a negative, Nellie. Hey, you know what? I think we do need to go to the store. You go ahead and go to the store. I'll see you in about an hour. It doesn't have to be like that. How do I honor Jesus and create healthy, positive relationships with friends, family, and others in my life? I'm going to do something kind of weird. Since I don't have a clicker today, I'll just do that. And, af and after a while, Jonathan and I have got this, got this great telepathy. Um, after a while, if I didn't tell you that, I'd be going, you know, he speaks mostly in complete sentences, but he's got this nervous tick. He just keeps like, like plus one, plus one, like he's keeping score of something. Okay. Speaking of laughter, your emotional state's important to me. If you're here and you're going, nothing's funny, pastor's not even talking yet, not even saying anything important. Well, let's see maybe if this doesn't get your mood changed a little bit. So you're going, okay, whatever you have for me, I'm ready to learn. Two mice, church mice. They're knocking on the little door in the, in the wall of the church. And because they're mice, they say, we'd like to talk to you about Jesus. I mean, because they're mice, not Jesus, but Jesus. Okay. I'm back at one if you want more. Okay. God began our journey with relationships. He really did. Oh, did we miss a cue? Genesis 2.18. Yeah, I like that. Who said, Jonathan? Okay, you make sure that if he's dozing, yeah, and just call it out. We're informal. Jonathan! Doesn't sound as good for me. I love the guy no matter what. Okay, Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. What's interesting is this word helper in the Hebrew is actually used in place of Yahweh, God, when he helped Israel, when he helps Israel. And so you're thinking, that's a pretty prestigious title for a woman, a helper. Yeah, so I'm just, I'm really bothered 
by, by sometimes churches that just, they put women down, they have to be quiet, they, they have to do this and not do that. It's, 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 it's troubling at times. I have, I know in seminary, I know there are, there are women that could preach me under the table. I mean, not that I want to go under the table, but they could still, I would be that embarrassed to go, yeah, I'm not going next. So yeah, not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And you're going, you're going, wow, this is weird. This is something you did early in the morning or late at night. No, it's good. It's just novelty where you go, what does that say? It's all right. No, we're learning together. We're learning together. That was actually a two-clicker. That was my fault. I should have went, and I went that. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So if we're looking at relationships, we're building the theme here. It's love. And Christ's love to us is agape love. That's the sacrificial love. That's the kind that's the most challenging with my wife. Yes, let's make it all about you and not for me. Case in point, it's challenging. It's a, it's a trial at times. But that's what Jesus demonstrates in Romans 5.8. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. This idea of love to one another, it shows that we're Jesus' disciples by our love for one another. Not going to church, not carrying our Bible, not hitting somebody over the head with the Bible. No, no. So, so it's, it, and you want love? We're not talking phileo, we're not talking arrows, we're talking agape love, sacrificial love. Matter of fact, my little comments here, and I got the verses for you. All the commandments, three places. In the New Testament by the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John, they sum up all the commandments into one command. All the commandments. No, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be on time. I'm going to do always what I say. Well, those are great things. But agape love eclipses all of the commandments, all the 613 Mosaic law, which we're not under anyway. Otherwise, if we were, we would say, hey, time for the tithe. 23.3% under the Mosaic Law. <laughs> Get out your checks and your bank account and your credit. Okay. No. No, no. We're, we're, we're New Testament givers and New Covenant believers. So that's another sermon, though. So anyway, relate. Re, re, help me with this. Relationships steeped in love. That's the theme we're working towards. 
Think about this morning. Think about last night. Think about yesterday. How many decisions, because we're Christians and we're born again, nothing's going to bring us down. How many of us, though, on our journey, we're just full of love and compassion and agape love for putting others before ourselves? I'm sorry. I wish I could say that. Like the air conditioning at home. It's just like, it's just like, I know you get cold and then you get hot and then you get cold again, but can you just keep switching off your jacket and your sweater and just, well, you could too. What? Oh, I guess I could. What made it all about me? <laughs> the devil did. <laughs> He's taking it and running with it for all of us. Whew, let's go on. Look where this relationship thing all began. God made us and is about and for relationships. Read that verse. I know you can read it on your own. It's John 17, 24. John 17, 5 is another one if you're keeping track or you want some scripture to write down for home later. Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, had a love relationship before time. Wow. Yeah, before time. We see the Trinity in Genesis. We see Jesus himself in Genesis 3.15. So we don't discount the Old Testament. It has so much to offer. It's God's word. But Jesus... God the Father started in relationship before anyone else. Holy Spirit, Father, the Son, Trinity. If you want some stuff to look up when you get home, look, look up the economic Trinity. We're not going into Trinity today because you're going to go, wow, you're chasing a rabbit. <laughs> you're going to go a long time, aren't you? No. Um, but if you want some more information, look up Economic Trinity. And um, you know, there's, there's just lots of interesting things theologically about the Trinity. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Yes, singers should sing where they're supposed to, and that's it. So weird question. I'm going to chase a little rabbit. He's a little guy. He's matter of fact, he's probably one of the guys that are at our house because uh, we have a lot of little rabbits around our house. Um, is the Holy Spirit God? Ha yes. <laughs> ha, good. Is Jesus God? Yes. Fully and completely God? Yes. <laughs> Gary, you didn't say this was an advanced group. <laughs> I would have went with PowerPoint presentation number four instead of three. Jesus addresses the hows and whys recipe of relationships in order to love others well. Jesus gives a recipe, a recipe. He gives us a recipe like baking cookies for loving people well, speaking truth in love well. He does that. Here's the verse. Here's the main theme. Here's the big idea. If you can't remember any other verses today, remember this one. 
This is a doozy. Here we go. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. You can't do one without the other. You can't do one without the other. I know sometimes it seems like he's from the East, isn't he? He's from Boston. No, but I know that if I don't change it up, you're like, where are we going to lunch? I don't think they open till 12. He's fine. He can keep going. I just say that because I say those things. And I'm the pastor. I mean, not here, but you get that idea. The word became flesh. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Wow. Let's break this down because we need biblical support. Otherwise, you might go, well, I think you might be a false teacher because I'm not seeing evidence of everything. This is how Jesus demonstrated relationships full of grace and truth. This is how he did it. Look at this, John 13, 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So upper room discourse, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. That seems gracious. First century Palestine was dirty. They wore sandals. Your feet were dirty. So it makes sense. He got up from the meal, though. Took off his outer clothing. Got up from the meal. Usually this was done before the meal. So theologically, I, I don't know the significance behind this. <laughs> Sorry, um, but, um, but it, I did note it was different here. The disciples not only needed a foot washing, but they also needed to have their sin cleansed as Christians, as believers. They needed a cleansing. And later in the text, we won't get to it, but not full body. That's salvation by Jesus. They needed a cleansing, as 1 John 1.9 says. 1 John 1.9 was written to Christians. Uh, circulated a letter John did in Asia Minor. And it went around and it told these young Christians, that, hey, you've got a relationship with Jesus, but you're going to be breaking that relationship in terms of fellowship. Not loss of salvation, but fellowship. And so it says, confess your sins to Jesus. And he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. That's to Christians. That's to us. Have you sinned after you made a profession of faith and became born again? I have. Have I sinned this morning? I have. We won't go any further. Anyway, so you got to realize that. You got to realize that. First John, 
The Apostle John says that if we don't confess the wrongs that we've done in the Christian body, we break fellowship with Jesus. He doesn't go away. Salvation's not lost. But when, when we break fellowship, we walk blindly in life. We walk in the darkness. And God, 1 John 1, 5, is in the light. Jesus is the light. And so, but you walk in darkness, can you imagine? It's just so strange. It's so strange. You start hitting things. You're going, I, something's not right. I'm not making good decisions. Because maybe there's a lot of things that you and I need to make right before Christ. And part of that is for not agreeing to wear my jacket more and, and just kind of suck it up because you've got some climate you know, challenges. Um, that was even a little mean. Um, I'm sorry for my part in that. I'm sorry for my part in that. I'm sorry that hurt your feelings and I was just thinking about me. I apologize. And then you start to walk in the light again. Oh, this feels so much better. <laughs> oh, Jesus, you're so good. Thank you. Now I got that light I can't get in front of my eyes, and I just, oh, hang on a second. Whew, blinded myself. Okay, so look at this. He's washing his disciples' feet, upper room. Then he goes on. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Grace, truth. Grace first. You say, well, I gave grace to my friend, bought him some coffee and lunch, then I gave him truth, both barrels. And I don't think they took it that well. And I'm going to meet him today and I'm going to give him two more barrels because they didn't learn. You're missing it. You're missing it. You've got to lavish God's grace that you've received to others. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 2.4, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not his, it's not his, boom, boom. Hold on, Don, hold on, Don, you're not moving. Boom, no. It's his kindness. We get it through our thick head and then we're going, oh, God has a different economy. In Christ, if you're in Christ and have a relationship with Christ, it's golden. There's no condemnation for you in Christ. You don't walk fearful around town. But if you are walking with a lot of unconfessed sin, a lot of unconfessed sin, you may want to just get with Jesus and just start laying it out so you can walk in the light again and see his illumination, see his leading, see his leadership. Okay, before we start this, this is John Piper. He is a, he's a reformed theologian. I'm not a reformed theologian. The Southern Baptists aren't a reformed theologians, if you will. Some of the pastors are, like my son-in-law, who left Phoenix for Virginia. Um, and we, we agree to disagree on some things. But there's some scholarship with, with those that have a reformed theology. You're going, what? I'm going to come up just to talk to you afterwards to say, what's reformed theology? It's okay. It's not a bad thing. 
just looks at scripture a little bit differently. But this is a, a theologian, pastor, retired pastor, that talks about that verse, John 1.14. Jesus, come full of what? Grace, thank you. Whew, hate to, hate to forget that up here. And what else? And truth. Listen to what he says. God cannot justly, simply wipe away your sin and my sin. If he comes with grace to save sinners, he cannot, and this is, this is what the world doesn't get without our helping them and teaching them, these categories are not in the natural mind. He cannot simply say, we will let bygones be bygones. Because truth, faithfulness, truthfulness means my glory has been defamed. My name has been trampled in the dirt. My purposes have been rejected. My justice calls for punishment. That's real wrath. And, and yet he's so gracious. He's so full of grace. Amen. So what does he do? He clothes himself with flesh that he may die. The reason the Word became flesh is so that when the Son of God goes to the cross and dies, grace could abound and truth could be upheld. Truth is upheld because sin is punished. And grace abounds because we don't get punished. Yeah! He gets punished. That's why he came. That's why he had to have flesh. So nails could go through it. So his side could be pierced according to prophecy. So blood and water could flow out. So he could become a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That's the main reason he took on flesh. So if, if you ask the question, what difference does verse 14 make for us? It makes all the difference in the world for us. We see his glory. And it is a glory as of the only Son and what marks the glory, it is full of grace and it does not compromise truth. And wow. I mean, if that doesn't light a fire in you, then something in your body or inside your body is wet, like as in wood, because that sacrifice that Jesus made for us is worthy for us to go and give his grace to others until they ask us why. Don't, don't be in such a place where it's less like, okay, I'm going to give you this. Jesus loves you. Yes, I think you're doing great things. Now, do you want to receive them or not? <laughs> don't do that. Keep lavishing grace on people. Love them until they ask you why. God's kindness leads us to repentance. His kindness. Not his anger. Not his judgment. You think, well, that's just going to be too gracious, too nice. 
Hebrews 12, 6 says that God disciplines all of his children, all of us that know him. All of us. He can do it. He can handle it. My wife, if I'm concerned about my wife, okay, say she's missed, just pretending. Say she's missed a couple morning devotions just between her and Jesus. I'll just start praying and just loving on her. God can take care of working in her heart and mind to bring her right back into that, to that beautiful fellowship. It's just not, a, not an attitude of judgment. Jesus is the only judge, and he's a righteous judge. He doesn't get it wrong. So, did you go ahead? I don't know that I, did I did that just, okay. This is how Jesus demonstrated relationships full of grace and truth. This is your future reading. You're going, I'm not going to future read. I've already been here almost an hour. Woman caught in adultery. Jesus came full of grace and, and truth. Zacchaeus, Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Woman at the well, John 4, 4 to 42. Jesus came full of grace and truth. As we get close to closing here, um, we've not gone over 30 minutes. So um, um, I'd like to um, finish strong though. What is truth? Grace and truth, what is truth? Truth will set you free, John 8, 31 and 32. And I'm really a weirdo when it comes to Bible verses in context. Like in two weeks, if I'm still preaching, if I'm still a candidate <laughs> in preaching, um, uh, then um, uh, what's funny is, is that um, I'm going to preach on just, on just context. And how sometimes we like rip verses out of the Bible and we, we, we use them for our own purpose. And so I'm going I'm to talk about like the most popular misused Bible uh, verses. And, and not to condemn anyone, I, I did the same thing for years. I still mess it up. But if we understand context contextually in scripture, we can know truth even better. And what does it say? It'll set us into bondage or what? Make us free. You might be thinking, gosh, I'm stuck in this drinking bondage. I need your truth. I'm stuck in this pornography bondage. I need your truth to break, to break me free. So God uses his word. And he uses Christian therapists and counselors. And he uses ministers, his people, in order to help people get through tough places pretty powerful but sometimes you got to be willing to want to break free it's like no the bondage creates dopamine and I feel good for a little bit well that's the devil's plan of wanting to kill you slowly and totally separate you from your family the love of God and everything else so this is truth we got to get to truth we got to have truth but we we got to look at grace grace first to earn the right to be truthful with someone we must go faster now. The time is getting nil. <laughs> truth leads us to what is real. Yes, there is absolute truth. Truth leads us to what is accurate, absolute morality. Truth is the structural aspect of God's character. He can't lie. That's his nature. He can't lie. 
there's, there's, there's a lot of debate in the theological world. Could Jesus have sinned if he wanted to? They call that the impeccability or the peccability of Christ. You can Google it later. It's really fun. Um, but then you got to determine, make a case for, could he have sinned if he wanted to? It's an interesting debate. Big time theologians are on both sides of that and they've got pretty decent rationale. But, but I personally side, he couldn't if he wanted to because it's everything against his nature. Anyway, okay. Uh, oh. Oh no. Our time, our time I want to be sensitive to, but two incidences where I gave truth with no grace, and they blew up. <laughs> a co-administrator at work in education just came new to the school, and I, he was telling me some things that, that were really gray, and they weren't God-honoring. And so I confronted him on it. Six years later, we're still not friends. I went truth first. Six years later, we're still not friends. That's hard. I even thought I got a lunch with him once. I've apologized. And uh, I mean, it was justifiably right had I earned the trust to speak to him that way. <sighs> thought I got him to lunch one day. Turns out that he, he was sick the day we were going to lunch. Yeah, I, I blew it. Stepdaughter. I've got a stepdaughter. What? And you're, and you're pastoring? May this not be. My wife had an eight-year-old when we were married 32 years ago. And because I wasn't touchy-feely, and rightfully so, with a young eight-year-old, didn't make the, the real emotional connection right off, and went with more truth and not grace. Talk about a backfire. Talk about trying to undo something that we've regretted for years, that I've regretted for years. Don't do it backwards. It's not fun. Let's go to something more, more pleasant. Let's go, to the, uh, let's go to grace. Grace is the essence of God. Romans 5.8. I read this verse to you earlier, paraphrased it, you got it. Grace is not deserved and can't be earned. Grace is the unmerited favor of God towards people. That's what it is. It's unmerited favor is the official theological definition. Grace is the unconditional love of acceptance. Such a love is the foundation on which Jesus appeals to us. I've given you this verse four or five times today. Grace is the re relational aspect of God's character. Too much, not usually the problem. <laughs> Here's when it is the problem. Liz's mom, she's, she's well off. So when we see some of the family go through some tough times, we know that God has us go through trials, we know that God allows us to hit rock bottom, and we know there's a purpose in struggling. 
Just look at James chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. Just look at these things. There's a purpose in suffering. But you get somebody that's too much grace and not truth. We've got mom, who we just love, who's modeled love for us. Uh, Liz's mom just saying, how much you need? How much you need? And it's just a bailout. It's a bailout. The people who have been bailed out in the family, they're the worse off than any of the family because they haven't had to struggle. And God didn't get to work with them to show him or to show them that he's faithful and that he will get us through those, those dark valley experiences. So finally, so finally, go ahead and wrap, just go quickly through these. Yeah, I'm just, okay, look, you can take a look at this. Truth without grace is judgment. Grace without truth is license. Just talked about that. Here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. You and for me. We have a little bit of a homeless population here. Jesus says you'll always have the homeless. Sometimes we get so fed up and we're like, I gave like seven bags out. You drive by again, you get a job. All of a sudden you forget grace. You forget your witness, forget what God's gonna do in your life and maybe in that person's life. Who will you give grace to when you go home? Who have you not given a fair amount of grace to and maybe even could use to overdo it once or twice or 10 times? Maybe, maybe. Couple irreconcilable differences possibly. At work, mother-daughter, I know, must give her truth. Take it from somebody who's messed it up time and time and time again. Don't go that route. Don't go that route. Oh, you can get it back. But something we can forgive and people will forgive it takes a long time to forget. So Jesus today, help me not to put so many slides together. That's just too many. <laughs> Jesus, you're remarkable. And you help us when we're not remarkable. Which is sometimes a good part of my day. And so thank you that you, you allow us do-overs. Jesus, thank you because you've allowed us do-overs that we can let family and friends and loved ones do do-overs. Total trespass. And yet when we did that to you, Romans 5.8 says, you died for us when we hated you. Help us to internalize that video today that we saw. Help us to internalize what it is that Jesus, you became flesh to be pierced, to be our sin punishment, so we don't have to be. And then you tell us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that you're imputing and you imputed your righteousness to us so we could have a, a lick of good running through us. Lord Jesus, you're amazing. Forgive us corporately when we're wayward. 
Forgive us when we just haven't done right by people since all the commandments are summed up into one command. Have love for one another. Oh, Jesus, you're the basis, the creator, the sustainer of that love. And by golly, if we do it, even this afternoon, we'll have a peace so deep. We'll have such a transformation in our little brain that life's worth living. And we can live for more of the right things. And that will bring glory to you. Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you as Lord, doesn't know you as Savior, has not received you into their life, Help them to stay back. Help them to stay back from the service when everybody leaves and come forward and let's discuss what it is to be saved, to be a Christian, to be born again and get that person on their way to reading some, some, some key gospel uh, books, chapters and celebrate with their victory as we hopefully got to do when we became born again. Thank you, Jesus. We love you and need you. Amen.